and welcome to Church for the Cities podcast in Yuma, Arizona with lead pastor Tyrone P. Jones. Our mission is for people to encounter the reality and presence of God. For sermon videos and next steps, visit us at ctcfamily.com. Now join us for the message. All right, I think what I'm going to do now is just probably go right on into the, into the message, into the Word. So why don't, why don't you take your Bible and stand with me? We're going to go into Philippians 1. I'm going to pray for a local church after when we pray for the, uh, for the message. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 3 through 11. It's going to be a, a teaching today um, as we dive into this book. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. If you have it, can you say amen? Here we go. I'll read it. It says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who started the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And I pray this, that your love will keep growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of, of our God. So far, the reading of the word, can you say amen? All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity we have to bring forth the word of God. Uh, I pray that we are, those that are watching, those that are listening, that are minds are open to receive, our ears are open to hear, our heart is fertile ground, that the Word of God may really hit the right places that we need to apply to our life. Greater understanding, greater wisdom, revelation, knowledge. You, you're able to do it through the, through the preached Word, and I trust the Holy Spirit will do the application. Pray for every church in our city, every pulpit, Lord, where a man or a woman is gracing that pulpit. May the Spirit of God work in them speak through them. We want every church in our community to grow, to increase, to expand. We pray for Pastor Robert and Renee Rodriguez at Hope Church of God. Be with them, Father, as they do the work that you've called them to do in that part of the vineyard. And we ask for expansion for them also. Uh, Lord, I'm an empty vessel needing to be filled by you. I trust your anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Now, last week we started on this journey in the book of Philippians, talking about the people in uh, Philippi, and it's going to take us probably through the end of May to get through the, through the book, uh, we believe. And this, is, this church is probably one of Paul's favorites. Last week we talked about the, how it got started, how it got established, and we looked primarily in the book of Acts, chapter 16. Uh, because that's where we see the history of the beginning and the initiation of everything going on. Uh, Ten years after Paul was there is when he uh, actually wrote this letter. Uh, He probably did visit again about six years after his first visit uh, because Acts 21, 22, somewhere in that area, gives us some more information uh, regarding some some of the things that took place 
with Paul in Philippi, and it looks like that that was on his second, second, second journey there. Uh, but the, uh, the essence of it is that Paul really loved the church and gave a lot of thanks for the church because of who they were. Just right from the beginning of what we talked about last week, they showed themselves to be a church that really loved the Lord. They loved the Word. They loved the Lord. They loved being a body, a community, and they grew from there. Um, what's interesting about this is that really the theme of this book is rejoicing. It's joy. We called actually this series to be joyful because Paul, when he was in jail the first time while he was there, you remember we talked about it last week that he, even when him and Silas was in jail, instead of them being down in the dumps and in despair, they actually praised the Lord while they were in jail and uh, history happened from there. Here he is in, in jail again. This time he's in Rome in jail. And not sure if he's still in a physical jail or in a house, uh, kind of uh, under house arrest. Not sure about that uh, when he wrote this. But he's writing from, from jail here, and he still has the same encouragement for them to rejoice. It's, it's the attitude, really, of the believer. He's basically saying to us as a people that we should be joyful people, that every aspect of our life should be one that reflects rejoicing. All of us have things in this world and in this life that certainly can be a, a matter of concern. It can be things that we, you know, can cause us despair or discouragement or frustration. All of us can have those things. But for the believer, it should only take you about a microcosm of a second to come to the conclusion, you got more reasons to be happy and excited than you do to be down and depressed. You got more reasons, more reasons to, to be excited. If I didn't do anything but just simply think about what the Lord has delivered me from, if that's all I think about, the fact that I'm saved, that I'm born again, that I've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, that I have eternal life. I don't lay my head down at night honestly worrying about wh whether Jesus comes, when he's coming. None of that is an issue. He's coming. I know he's coming, and I'm ready for him to come, and I'm just joyful at the fact that I know my Lord is coming back for me. Can you say amen? That's enough for us, honestly, to be, to be joyful, but it's, it's the attitude of the believer. Now, uh, bef before I dive too much more into this, I, I want to say this. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, and every time I read this, I think, this is a letter I could have wrote to CTC, Be because I, I love you as a people that much. There's, you know, there's, through this pandemic, do you know the, the ratio has been one out, no, sorry, two, no, no, yeah, two out of five pastors uh, have been resigning from their pastoral role through this pandemic. One out of six churches has been closing, which we knew there would probably be some church closers. And I, 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 I hear that and I empathize with them. And maybe they don't have the team I got or the elders that I got and the, uh, the wife, the family. I mean, I could, I could go on maybe the things that they don't have. But I, I just got to tell you, I love serving you as a people. I just, I just love it. I'm, I'm not up here just because this is what they pay me to do. I'm here because I love you. I love the city. I love the church. And, and you're a great church. You're, you're the best church in town. I'm just going to tell you that. I, they haven't really taken an official vote, but I have. The best. 
Matter of fact, I'm going to push Yuma, the Yuma son to do best church. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to push him to do it. And uh, you're just a wonderful church. I mean, you, you, you get it. You're a church that gets it. Uh, you know what it means to serve the Lord. You know what it means to have an impact in our community and our city. You're out there serving and you're declaring that, you know, we love our church. I'm telling you, this church makes pastoring a whole lot easier for me. And I just thank you for doing it. Thank you for being uh, a, a great, a great, a great church. So I could have wrote this letter and just told you how much I love you and how much I thank you, but Paul did it almost 2,000 years before I did, but, but now I'm telling you. The second thing I want to let you know is this series, I'm going to be very expository. I'm going to take you through every verse uh, in this book. We're going to break down the meaning of what Paul is saying throughout this book. So it's going to be designed more teaching uh, than it is preaching. But let's just jump right onto it because in verse 3 through 5, he says three things that I just want to note. One is, again, that whole idea of thanksgiving. And it's not that Paul hasn't been thankful to the other churches, but this one, he really goes out of his way to express to them how thankful he is for what they have done. He uses words that he hadn't normally used, like he's accumulating words in his vocabulary. He keeps repeating clauses to just talk about the intensity of his, of his thankfulness for them. So he, he just overwhelms them with thanksgiving. And he also lets them know that I always pray for you. He lets them know that I'm praying for you every time I go into prayer. I'm remembering to pray for you, the, the church in Philippians and, and, the, and the saints there. So he's, he's always praying for them. But he also, he tells them, the reason I'm giving you thanks and the reason I'm praying for you is because of the partnership we have in the gospel, the partnership in the gospel. That's the thing that Paul is the most thankful for. And, and I think you can understand why, being CTC, being who we are. He said from the very first day, I, and I'm believing he's referring to the, when Lydia came to the Lord and then the Philippian jailer, they've had this idea that they were committed to the truth of the word and they were committed to the gospel being preached and they were, they were committed to Paul declaring and those who have now become elders and deacons among them declaring the word of God. It's a, it's a partnership, he says. And, and I think it's one of the most vital partnerships we can have on earth. There's, there's all kinds of unions and all kinds of fellowships and all kinds of partnerships, but nothing is greater than people coming together, partnering together like we do here, and just determine our whole heart and mission is that other people know the gospel, that other people come to know Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing, isn't it? The most important thing that we as people should be overwhelmed with is the fact that there are people that we know, friends, loved ones, people that we work with, they could actually die and go to hell. That should be a heavy burden upon us, that people can actually live in this life and never come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and their life ends without understanding and having a knowledge of eternal life. And Paul says, you got that, and you're partnering with me to do it. And, and you know, we, we believe that we do a lot of different things here. You know, we have, we do our, we love our city. We do 
missions. We're sending people all over the world. We're sending church. We send teams to places even to help other churches. We give money to churches even in our own city. We do food distributions. We partner with schools. We partner with local agencies. I can go right on down the line on the things that we do. But if you ask Tyrone P. Jones, what stands out at CTC? It's one line for me. We preach the gospel. That's the number one thing. Everything else is all good, but it doesn't bring people to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It lets them see the love of God and brings them into a close relationship with people that allows them to hear the gospel. But the gospel is the most important thing. And, and I, I don't know if you're somebody that's looking for a church or trying to find a, a, a place, but I'm going to tell you, whenever you go and, and look for a church, the, the thing that you ought to be looking for is, is the preaching. Is the message feeding my soul? Are, are you, I, listen, we do a great job with children's ministry here. Renelle and Jolene and her team, they do a tremendous job, always looking for ways to disciple. Tyrone and Corrine and their team do a great job with youth ministry. We got people over men's ministry and women's ministry and celebrate recovery. I could go right on down the line of all the ministries that we got here that are good. But the most important thing is the gospel being preached. And whenever you're looking for a church, if you're trying to find a church, I hear people say, well, it's, it's not the best fit for me, or I really don't really care for the preaching, but it's good for my kids. Come on, folks. Come on now. You, you, you need to be looking for a church for you. For you. You can train your kids. You can teach them. If you're learning, you can teach them. Right? But you ain't even got to worry about that here either. We come alongside you and do that for you. But my point is, preaching needs to be the most important thing. When people say they go to a church and they say, man, I don't know, I don't really like to do this preaching, but the music is great. We got great music. We got wonderful music. Man, I get some, I get some patting in my feet and some clapping in my hands. What you talking about? Get, 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 yes, we do. Yes, we do. But that ain't the most important. If the, if the worship team stands up here one week and completely flops, don't leave. Preaching is on the way. Because that's the most important thing is hearing the Word of God. Paul says, you've been partners with me in the gospel. And he says, for that reason, I give you thanks. And I say the same here. You've been partners with us in the proclaiming of of the gospel. Now, Paul dives into something with this verse number six. He dives into something here because he's reminding them of why they have celebrated the gospel along with him, and that's because the gospel work that the Lord has started in them is something that God is going to complete. I'll read it for you in verse number six. He says, and I'm certain that God who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, Paul is, is, is really emphasizing something that he wants all of us to get, and that is the absolute total and finishing work of Jesus Christ on the cross. One of the most important questions that I think everybody needs to answer is how can I be confident that I'm truly saved? How can I be confident that I'm truly saved? There may be a, another follow-up question with that is, is, is can, can I be, if, if I am truly saved, can I know for sure that I cannot lose my salvation? They're crucial questions. And they concern eternal destiny for us and even for, for others. 
Now, if, if, if you're truly saved, you know that Christ has saved you. You're, you. You are absolutely born again. But if you, if you lack an assurance, you're going to live in constant anxiety about the state of your soul. You're going to live in constant, constant anxiety. If you know that the Lord saved you, but you're not sure if the salvation of the Lord is something, if you want to say it this way, that's sticking then you, then you can live in constant anxiety. You'll, you'll always be concerned whether the Lord comes tonight, whether I'm saved or not saved. Am, am I going to miss the rapture, not miss the rapture? I, I've, I've shared with you my, you know, my, we used to sing a song in the old church about the clouds opening, and it comes out of First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, and the Lord appearing in the clouds and calling his church home. And my grandfather, bless his heart, he was my hero in the faith, but uh, he was hard on me. He always, you know, would, would j- just let me know, man, one of these days Jesus is going to come and just leave you behind, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, because of the teaching that, you know, when the clouds open, here comes the Lord, you know, I- I'm so overwhelmed by being left behind. Every time there was a cloudy day, it was like, oh, shucks. <laughs> If I don't get whatever I got to get right soon, what if the Lord come on this cloudy day? Can I tell you that, that just, that's a, that's a terrible way to live, is to keep living thinking, I'm afraid of cloudy days, right? Because this could be the day that the Lord comes. You don't want to live with that kind of anxiety of, of whether you are born again and whether you're sure that the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is certain. And, 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 and so, on the other hand, if, if, if you think that you're saved and you're not truly saved, then, yeah, you're going to have a rude awakening when you stand before the Lord and you hear Him say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you work of, worker of iniquity. And so, so the, the Scripture teaches us where we could land on this. And I think Philippians 1.6 is actually one of the best verses that talks about the perseverance of the saints, the perseverance of the saints, which is the doctrine that says the Lord Jesus Christ who saved us is the same Lord Jesus Christ who's able to work in us and keep us and sustain us until the end. Perseverance of the saints, the same Jesus that saved us is the same Jesus that's working in us day by day until the end when he presents us faultless and blameless. It's the Lord that keeps us, the perseverance of the saints. Now, it's not just this verse that teaches this. All of 1 John talks about the assurances of of salvation. You can read the book of 1 John, and there's 9, 10, uh, I don't know if you can still find it. I've done a series on it years ago. There's 9 or 10 different things that talks about the evidences of somebody being born again. 1 John 5.13 says that it was written so that we would believe in Jesus Christ and know that we have eternal life. Now, two other verses I want to just share with you, and you just, you just give this some, uh, some thought. John 10.27 through 28, listen to this. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. We're Christ followers. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Now that's the word of God. No one can snatch us out of the hand 
of the Lord. No one can snatch us out of his hand. He's the one that saved us. He's the one that's holding us. Are y'all following me so far? Romans 8, 38 through 39, it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from, from him. Nothing can separate us from the work that Christ has done. So these passages, along with uh, 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 Philippians chapter 1 6, teach that one who's born again, we're preserved by the work of the Lord God Almighty. He never abandons his plans, he will not bail out without finishing the process. He doesn't save us and say, okay, now that I've saved you, you go figure out how to live for me. He never abandons his plans. Now, I, I fully understand there's, there's different views out there, and, and I'm sure there's probably different views uh, in, the, in, the, in the congregation. Here's, here's a couple of, uh, couple of angles. Some teach that a person can be truly saved, but if he turns away from Christ, he will lose his salvation. He can be truly saved, but somewhere down the line, he determines he doesn't want to live for Jesus anymore, and he can lose his salvation. That's pretty much an Armenian view uh, promoted by John Wesley. Then there's others who teach if a person truly professes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he confesses that Christ is his Savior and he's saved, that no matter what he does with his life, it doesn't matter that he's already eternally secure. Doesn't matter if he goes back into sin, doesn't matter if he goes back into the world, doesn't matter if he has no evidence of salvation already, once saved, always saved. Both of those are an error as far as I'm concerned. They're both an error. Both of them is an error because it puts the emphasis on the person. I want you to watch this. I believe that the Scripture teaches that salvation is entirely a work of God and not man entirely a work of God, that God is the one that begins the work of salvation. I can't even come to Jesus unless the Holy Spirit draws me. He begins the work of salvation in my life. And then I surrender our life, surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ because of His grace. It says, by grace through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that anybody should boast. So my salvation is not because of anything that I have done. It's all because of what He has done. He is the one that drew me by His Spirit. He's the one that went to a cross and died for me. He's the one that imputed the righteousness in my life. He's the one that poured the blood of Jesus over me to cover me. He's the one that causes me to be a new creature and makes me born again. And He's the one that preserves me and holds me and sustains me to the very end. Am I talking to the right church? He's the one that does it. So Jonah, when he was in the middle of that whale, he said salvation is totally from God. It's not human responsibility. It's not human responsibility. Now, is there an ever work in our life? Sure. Can people who've been born again uh, sin? Listen, any one of us are susceptible to sin. There's not a person in here who has a sinless perfection. 
And if you do, I will walk off this pulpit right now and give it all to you. There is no sinless perfection in our life. But the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is constantly cleansing us, washing us, and working in us so that we become more and more conformed to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the work that He does, and He does that to the end. The Scripture says that He's going to present us before the Father blameless and holy before Him. He's going to present us. So, so Jesus he is counting on himself to do the work. Jesus ain't going to bring me before the Father and said, well, Lord, God, Father, here's Tyrone. <laughs> Done the best I can. This is what we ended up with. <laughs> Done the best I can. No, 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 no. He said, I will finish what I start. I'm going to finish it. So he's constantly working in our life so that we may be pure, holy, and blameless before him. And one of the great evidences of salvation is conviction. When I do something wrong or say something wrong or act wrong, the very fact that I'm convicted of it is the very fact that the Spirit of God is saying, Tyrone, that's not like me. That's not like me. You need to get that right. That's one of the very evidences of the, the work of the finished work of Jesus Christ in our life. So let me just, let me just, just finish with this. I think it's clear evidence that the, the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who's trusted Him fully and eternally, first of all, just the very fact that you have a new nature, you shouldn't want to walk back into sin. The very nature of you does not allow you to willingly just go back into sin. So we can deal with the fact of whether the folks was truly saved or not. Whole another subject, whole another topic. Not really another subject, but ain't got time for it and all this. This is what I will finish with, is this. If you want to believe that you can lose your salvation, go right ahead and convince yourself. If you want to convince yourself that you can lose your salvation, go right ahead. You'll spend hours of wasted anxiety trying to convince yourself that what Jesus done for me is not enough, that I got to be the one to make this work. I'd rather be convinced that Jesus said to me, Tyrone, I started a work in you. I'm going to finish it. I'd rather be more convinced in trusting in him than I trust in myself. Can the church say amen? Can I go on to preaching? Because first service got this real good. They was happy. They was on their feet. They was clapping. Y'all just sitting here looking like Alice in Wonderland. Y'all got it? Or should I just go right on? Y'all good? Now, Paul turns back into this whole issue of affection. He wanted to drop that bomb on them. And then he goes back into this whole matter of affection. And he tells them again how much he loves them and cherishes them. Even when I was in prison, you've been with me even for my defense You've been with, with, with me. I deeply have an affection with you and for you. And then he says this, that we all share in the grace of God. I, I just love this. He says we all share in the grace of God. Basically saying we're all participants of his grace. All of us alike have experienced the same grace. That's why humility should come to the believer because we realize we are who we are by the grace of God. 
and by the mercy of God, that we all need His grace, we all need His mercy, and we are all who we are because of grace. There was no degree of higher morality in in other people's life to say, okay, this person has a higher morality, God is going to save them or quicker, sooner, do more for them because they have a higher, greater morality. No, 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 no. We were all sinners that needed to be saved by God's grace. All sinners. And that's how we should view each other. I'll I'll just say this. That's why I'm just getting so upset with the fallacy of the legitimacy of racism. Is there legitimate racism? Yes, there is. Should it be? No. If we look at each other from the same manner that the Lord looks at us, He doesn't look at us from a status or a culture or a skin color. When Jesus died on that cross, it didn't matter what you looked like on the outside. Jesus was saying, I'm dying for all of you, not because you're black or you're white or you're yellow or you're rich or you're poor or you come from this land or that land. I'm dying for you all because you all are sinners that need the grace of the Lord God Almighty. And when we learn to look at people from that perspective, every church in town would look like CTC, where you look at folks and you don't, you're not concerned about what they look like on the outside they experience the same love and grace that God has given you. Can we say amen? Amen. All right, I think I'm about ready to close. Uh, So team, you can come. I want to get to the uh, application of this, verses 9 through 11. This is where Paul done a prayer for him, and I'm going to apply this prayer to our life. I'll just read it again. He says, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of our God. And this is basically what Paul is saying, that the reason that the Lord saved us is that we would be fruitful Christians. It wasn't just so that we go to heaven. We're going to get there whenever that time comes. And that's a great blessing and that's a great benefit. But, but only if you're still alive looking at me or listening to me, then you didn't give your life to Christ and then breathe your last breath. You're still living. You're not just living to go to heaven. You're living to be a fruitful believer so that people can see the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your life that that can be an outworking righteousness that affects the world, affects the land to be salt and light and fruitfulness. Are you following me? So he says, how do we do that? And this is where the application is. He says, you grow in love so that knowledge and discernment is evident in your life. In other words, the more we grow in love with the Lord, Paul is saying the word he uses here for knowledge, he's, he's saying here, you will increase in spiritual knowledge you'll increase in the knowledge of the Lord. The more you love Him, the more you're going to increase in knowing God. And the more you, learn, more you know God, then the more fruitful you become. You start to be able to determine what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. There's a discernment that comes. Some of you have been living for Christ for a long time, and there's some things you can hear somebody say something, you could read something, you could watch something, and you know right off the bat, that ain't right. 
because you've grown in maturity to know that ain't even a temptation. That ain't even a second thought. It is not right. I know, I know that when I'm on the golf course that that person hit that golf ball and I saw him hit that golf ball and I lost all three of my golf balls and I need another golf ball. I'm just going to take his golf ball, which would save me about $17. But you just know some things just ain't right. You just know some things are just wrong because you're growing in the knowledge and the love of the Lord. And so, so the verse here is uh, Hebrews 5, 14. It talks about solid food for mature. We practice their senses and we're trained to discern what's good and evil. So we say it like this. The more you love the Lord, then you begin to know God more. The more you know God, then the more freedom you find in your life victory over things, the more free that you become in your life, then you start to discover the purposes that God has for you. And as you discover those purposes, then you really start to make a difference in the world. That's what Paul is saying. As you grow in the knowledge of God, you're going to become more righteous to the world. Are y'all following me? We become more fruitful. The other thing that I think Paul is saying here is that we need to get ready for the return of the Lord. We need to get ready. Paul's goal was for the people of God to be in that place of purity and blamelessness. Here's what Romans 2.16 says, and this is a message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Every one of us, the Lord will judge everything about us. He knows it. But Paul is saying, but, but, but you're, you're to be pure. Well, listen, I know me. You know you, and there's times in my life when I'm thinking I'm a long way from purity. I'm a long way from blamelessness. If I just had to go before the Lord and had to trust in myself, man, I would be in trouble. But here's where the cross comes in. Here's where Jesus comes in. Here's where the Savior comes in. Because purity from sin is not something we can do on our own. We're born in sin. We're born in iniquity. It's our nature to sin. We can wallow in impurity. We can be full of blame. But God, who is rich in mercy, God, who is rich in mercy, Titus 2.14 says this, He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. And what else does He do? To purify for Himself a people that are His very own eager to do good works. It's Christ that sets us apart and makes us blameless. He's the one that has shed his blood. I like Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. It says under the old system, that's talking about the old covenant, the old law. Whenever they sinned, they would have to take a, an animal and go to the priest and the priest would make the sacrifice. And the sacrifice, the blood of that animal said that you are ceremonially clean. In other words, you've done the ritual to declare yourself clean until the next time. But just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. Christ himself has as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. You know, that's why we come in here with the mindset that we have. No matter what Saturday was like or what Saturday night was like, the moment you recognize that, hey, my life belongs to the Lord, the Lord is able to forgive me. The moment that you go before him and proclaim the washing and the cleansing of the blood of the Lamb, you know you can stand in here and worship God with a clear conscience like everybody else because of the blood of Jesus that cleanses 
our conscience. First John 1, 1, 8, 9 says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, the scripture says. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He does that. He's the one that washes us. He's the one that cleanses us. We trust in him. And that's how we get ready. Listen, all of the works that we can do, and by God's grace, do, do a lot of them. Do a lot of good things for people. Do a lot of good things for the church. Do a lot of good things for your community. Do all the good deeds that the Lord lays before you. But none of those good deeds get you ready to meet the Lord. The only thing that gets us ready to meet the Lord is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that cleanses us and washes us and saves us. Can you say amen? And here's the last thing. Go on with right living. Go on with right living. He's, he's informed them already. As you grow in your love for the Lord, then your knowledge of God is going to grow, and that's going to produce some good stuff. He's already told them, listen, you, you preparing yourself for the coming of the Lord. He's going to finish things in, in the day that he comes, but you know that the Lord has done the one that's done the washing and the cleansing. In the meantime, he said, go on and live right. Be righteous people. Be holy people. Be people filled with righteousness, fruits of righteousness. He's not necessarily here talking about internal righteousness in the sense of uh, love and peace and joy and faith. That's, that's stuff that comes from the fruit of the Spirit. He's actually talking now about our external righteousness. People looking up on our life and seeing us for who we really are. He said, listen, in the meantime, I started this out by saying he didn't just save us just for us to go to heaven. He's saying, in the meantime, we need to be righteous people. We need to live holy. People need to see who we really are. If the Christ that's working us is the Christ, the Savior, who washed us and cleansed us and is perfecting us, then everything about us ought to show that righteousness. But, but he's bringing it to a place of being sincere. Let me, let me just wrap up with this. In, in, the, in the days of antiquity, Pottery, as you know, was a big thing. Nowadays, even when they search for old archaeological places, they usually find pottery that they can try to determine what stage and age or that it came from. Most of the time, what they find is the, the cheaper pottery. It's, it's, it's thicker, uh, it's more solid, but it's, it's cheap. It's, it's easier to make, takes less effort, um, can be done a whole lot easier, and that's usually what they find. But what was usually sold was the thin, fragile pottery. Thin, fragile pottery took more to get to that place where it was very thin, yet held up and full of color. So it took a whole lot of skill, a whole lot of time to burn it in the right way to get the color that it's supposed to have and yet hold it together being very thin and very fragile. That's what they sold in the shops. That's what people paid a high price for. Dealers knew that. Somewhere down the line, oftentimes, maybe one of these thin, fragile pieces would develop a crack, maybe just from sitting, maybe from being transported. But they, they came up with a way where they could develop a certain kind of wax that would perfectly seal that crack, and they could get that wax to fire up to be the same color as what the pottery already was by doing that wax in the right way. 
If you just walked by the shelf or walked by in the shop and just saw, man, that looks beautiful, that looks wonderful, that looks nice, how much is it? That's a, that's a thousand bucks, great, can't find this anywhere else, I'm gonna take it. If you don't know to look further, you'll just pay a thousand dollars for something that's been fixed with some, with, some, with some wax. But people who knew what they were buying, they would take that piece of pottery and they would go, they would go out into the sun and they would hold it up. It was called being sun-tested. They would hold it up because the sun, are y'all catching this? The sun would bring out the true nature of the pot. The sun would. So they would hold it up to the sun, and by holding it up to the sun, they could tell if there was a, a crack in it that had been fixed by this wax, and they would let the dealer know, I'm not paying that price because I can see it. Here is what Paul is saying to us, that all of us got some flaws. None of us are perfect yet. He's working on us. All of us are some folks, if I can just say it this way, we just some some crackpots, y'all. That's that's all. We we, we just some crackpots. But, but, but it's quite all right because he wants us to be sincere before him and transparent. And this is what the Lord is saying. You just be sincere and you be transparent and let be held up to me. Come on up to my sunlight. Let me be the one that fixes you. Let me be the one that covers up the crack. Let me be the one that washes you and cleanses you. Just live transparent. Just live honest. Just live sincere. You ain't got to be fearing whether the Lord is going to cast you aside. No, no, no. If you're an honest crack pot, he's going to lift you up and say, I got you covered. I got you covered. We carry around this treasure in jars of clay so that the the power of God may be worked in us. It's not the world seeing us as these perfect people that brings out the power. It's the world seeing us as people that God put back together that's able to do the things that God called us to do. It's okay to be a crackpot as long as you trust the great potter in the sky to fix you up and present you faultless. He's able to do it able to do it. You just got to trust him. Everybody stand if you would. Prayer team, come. I'm just going to say one prayer over your altars will be open. I'm going to go right into a song of worship. The good, good grace of God. One prayer over your altars are open. If you need prayer for any reason, if you want to make a commitment to Jesus, you can come. These dear people will help you. If you're online, if you need prayer for anything, they will follow up with you. I'm telling you, let them know. Lift your hand. They'll they'll do it. If you need to be baptized, you come. If you need to be laid hands on for healing, please come. If, if you need just somebody to pray with you through a situation, these dear folks here to do it. I'm just going to have one prayer for us. Eyes closed and, and heads bowed. I just want to pray this over us. Father, I, I, I'm, I, I know what, what Paul is saying to us. He, he's saying to us that you started a work in our lives that you're going to finish. For every one of us, Lord God, that are born again believers, we rejoice over the fact that you saved us and we're trusting you to finish the work in us that you have began. 
we're looking forward to being presented before the Father faultless and blameless. In the meantime, Lord God, we want to be some fruitful people. We want to be people that live our life with joy. We want to be people that live our life with transparency. We want to be people that live our life with sincerity. And we want to be people who have fruits of righteousness. Help us as a body of Christ. Help us as a church here at CTC. Help us as a family and as a community to be the people of God who have shared in the grace that you've given us and let us live that out loud. Lord, we trust you to do it. You're the one that healed us. You're the one that saves us. You're the one, Lord God, that'll do the great work. And it's in Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen.